Hello, and welcome to Facts Matter, a podcast by Citizens Research Council of Michigan. I'm Lori Higgins, Bureau Chief with Chalkbeat Detroit. I'm a longtime education journalist in Michigan and work for a publication that cares deeply about exposing inequities in education. I'm guest hosting the Facts Matter podcast today for a two-part conversation with Craig Theo, Research Director at the Council. In this second part, we'll discuss a recent report on population projections and what they portend about potential school closures. Craig, I have to tell you that a couple of days before your piece came out, our Chalkbeat Detroit team had a robust discussion about whether the aftermath of the COVID relief funding would spur school closures because districts must now confront the loss of that money coupled with enrollment losses. So this was great timing. Can you talk briefly about this moment we're in, the population losses, the population predictions, and how those will impact K-12 schools? Right. So the moment we're talking about has really been a decades-long slide of stagnant population growth in Michigan. And Michigan has been trending around 10 million people for a number of, of decades here. We've did a large report last year that covered a number of topics, but the main through line was the impacts that stagnant population has on the economy, the workforce, our infrastructure, our health. And so the moment we're in is kind of like we've been in this moment for a a long period of time. And I should note that while the population's stagnant, it's within that broad population, there are some substantial changes. And what we're seeing is that we're becoming an older state. So our aging population is increasing and it's projected to continue to increase while our younger aged uh, cohorts decline, specifically our school age population. So as we look forward, we don't see a change in this long-term trend of declining population, stagnant population growth. But what we do see is a continuation of the aging of our population. And so when we kind of focus into what that means across the economy, the workforce, health, our infrastructure, and our schools, it means that schools are going to continue to deal with this declining, public schools are going to continue to deal with this declining enrollment challenge that they've been dealing with. Going back to about 2003, at that time, the state had about 1.7 million public school students enrolled in Today, we have less than 1.4 million. So there's been a substantial contraction of the number of public school students in the state. And of course, those changes are different across the 800 and some public school districts in the state. The vast majority of them have dealt with some degree of declining enrollment, some to much greater degree than others. Where are the areas of the state where we're seeing the biggest declines? Right. This is consistent with kind of where our general population has declined. We've seen some hollowing out of our urban areas with people moving out of urban areas into ring suburbs and suburban areas. And so you think of your flints of the world and to some degree, 
Detroit, some degree, Saginaw, Bay County, that area. But I'd also point out in our rural communities as well, population growth has been stagnant and also aging. So the number of school-age children has been declining in those communities as well. So it's not a a geographic-specific area of the state. It's kind of across the state. We've seen declining student enrollments in Michigan. Okay. This this may feel like a silly question, but why are school closures the answer, or should they be the answer to declining enrollment? Well, school buildings are physical infrastructures. They're designed to accommodate a certain size of the student body in terms of the number of classrooms, the square footage. And as enrollments decline, the cost of maintaining those facilities becomes much more expensive on a per student level. And that's important because we've largely fund school districts in the state based on the number of students who enroll. So as declining enrollment happens, there's fewer resources, and then those resources have to be stretched further across larger physical footprints in the school district. And that's going to look different in districts where there's a number of schools at certain grade configurations, think elementary schools, versus where there might just be a single building of a given grade configuration, which might be in a rural community where you only have one elementary school, one middle school, and one high school, whereas in an urban environment, you might have multiple elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. Okay. I want to talk a little more specifically about the COVID relief money. Michigan schools directly received about $6 billion in COVID relief aid. And obviously, many districts lost students during the pandemic. What we were wondering about is whether or not the COVID money has sort of delayed some of these really difficult conversations that districts need to have about those enrollment losses because they could use some of that COVID relief money to boost the districts when they're losing students and losing money related to those students. Right. So we've, we've seen enrollment declines long-term. That's been a theme that's been running across the state for a number of years. And the effects on the finances, as we just discussed, are to reduce the resources that are available on an ongoing basis from the state. The federal government has stepped in with this large infusion of resources to help districts manage through the challenges of keeping schools open and then now pivoting to helping students recover from the learning loss when schools were closed. And those dollars, to some degree, papered over these long-term trends of depressing state state resources coming in. And when those federal resources go away... Districts are going to have to right-size their budgets, and when they do so, they're going to find out, well, the declining enrollment has also reduced our ability to bring in resources. So it's kind of a confluence of both factors, the long-term declining enrollment trend and the expiration of these federal resources that are going to bring some serious financial decisions to bear for local districts. The resources that came in from the feds are not the same across all districts. A number of districts that have been challenged with declining enrollment received the largest shares of the federal resources over this time. So 
there's going to be this funding cliff that districts have to face in fairly short order when these federal dollars expire at the end of 2024 here. Right. So we know what the population projections sort of portend, but do you actually think schools will begin closing buildings? Well, it's a really difficult and perhaps the most difficult that local decision makers face running schools, closing schools, because the effects are quite wide. Closing schools, especially when students aren't redistributed to better schools, can affect student learning and their progress, their educational attainment. So there's challenges there. They're disruptive to families as well as staff in those schools, having to develop new relationships with new teachers and new school personnel. And the broader community is affected because schools, as we know, serve a larger purpose than just providing educational service, they serve in a civic and social and cultural space for for gathering. So these are really tough decisions, but the finances are really what are driving the need to look at school closures. And we've seen over the period of declining enrollment that we talked about that schools, districts have been closing buildings. We've seen about a 16% decline in the number of K through 12 students in the last decade or so, 12 years. And we've seen a similar reduction in the number of buildings of about 12% in the traditional public school sector. So they are closing schools to meet the financial realities. Our report here suggests that while the federal resources have kind of put those decisions on the back burner, they're going to bring them to the fore in the near term when the federal resources expire here. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about a district like the Detroit Public Schools Community District, which I my main question about them is, can they afford to close schools given what school closures have done to the district over the last few decades, where when they close schools, their families have many, many options of where they can send their kids. And so they don't necessarily capture all those kids. They the risk is they end up losing even more students than they were prior to closing schools. Sorry, that was a long question, but I, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, and Detroit is probably a good example of where school closures, at least public traditional public school closures, to meet the financial realities. There's a number of other alternative service providers in the city who are situated nearby the traditional public school building. And with the challenges of transportation in the city, families are going to look to what's nearby for enrollment, enrolling their students. So right, when the declining enrollment is hitting, school closures hit, there's no guarantee that those students are going to enroll, re-enroll in the same public school district. They're likely to look at an alternative providers. So then it's going to likely be a larger net loss to the district in, in this instance. So there is going to be some pressure to, to maintain that, that building, the operation of that building. But the reality is, is it's going to be more, more expensive to run that building because of the fewer students and the fewer number of resources that are coming in to the district. 
Yeah. How do you, I just wonder, how do you make that trade off? Because it's more expensive to run the building, but you also could lose a number of students and what's going to be more costly for the district? It's going to take some very strategic thinking, I believe, on, in this regard, and looking at what's happened in the past, as you mentioned, when schools closed and where families have chosen. It's also going to require that district to make its case. The competitive effects in the Detroit market are quite high in terms of competing for students, and it's going to make the district make its case to keep those students enrolled in whatever schools remain open, I think. Yeah, that actually leads me to my next question about competition. Can we expect to see, not just in Detroit, but across the state, can we expect to see much more competition for students, much more districts? There was a time after the Schools of Choice law went into effect where schools were actively trying to, quote unquote, steal students from other districts. And that sort of died off a little bit. But I'm wondering if we can expect a return to that really competitive nature in the the public school system. Well, we've seen a, we did see an expansion of competition across the state. The number of of school districts is as expanded. It's definitely tapered off that growth in recent years. Some would argue that maybe the markets are saturated already Mm -hmm. and that there may not be another growth boom. It does strike me as kind of an odd proposition that we're seeing if we were to see an expansion of competition back to what we saw maybe 10, 20 years ago during a declining enrollment period, that that happens, there'll be some real efforts to, quote unquote, steal students because you're chasing after a shrinking pie. I don't have my crystal ball, so I, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen in terms of new actors coming in and competing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do know that about 50% of the resident student population in Detroit is attending something other than the traditional public school district in Detroit. And that's Mm -hmm. been about the same, more or less, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. It will I mean, the competition is there right now, and I think it's going to continue to stay there regardless of the declining enrollment trend here that we're projecting for the next few decades. Yeah, that makes me also wonder about whether or not Michigan can can continue to sustain so many really small school districts. You think about some communities, and I'm not advocating for anything, but You think about communities like Madison Heights, where they have two school districts, and that's a small community. And those districts, you know, are not large districts. How can we continue to sustain small districts when we're seeing overall declines in the population? Right. And so there's districts closing schools to meet their enrollment. And then there are districts having to consider whether or not they can exist as a separate operating entity. School consolidation, school district consolidations have been very rare relative to school closures, but those discussions are going to have to come to the fore, especially you mentioned Madison Heights in a suburban ring suburb of, of Detroit, but in rural communities as well. So school consolidations, while rare, are going to have to be considered. The state has encourage districts to look at this as an option. It hasn't mandated it. We're a local control state. I don't foresee a day when we're going to mandate that, but 
their state has been encouraging it and incentivizing districts with some state dollars to to pers- to at least investigate that. The other option and something that doesn't get as much attention is kind of service sharing and service consolidation where districts will still exist and paper and look like they always have, but really the services that are being provided are pre- are being done so jointly by the same personnel, the same operating entity. So think of back back office services that school districts provide, food, administration, curriculum development, transportation. Those aren't as visible to the public. The state has been encouraging that as well. And I think districts are going to have to, especially the smaller districts confronting enrollment declines, are going to have to consider that as a financial relief valve as well going forward. Yeah, I think we saw a little bit of that happening more during the Great Recession when you had some districts that were sharing superintendents or sharing like curriculum experts. But I wonder, is there any reason why that there would be a downfall to doing more of that? It may be a very local by local consideration. The community that I live in years ago, they joined forces in terms of food service transportation, sharing those services to relieve some of the budget pressures in the two districts individually. It's probably not as publicly visible as I mentioned, but it is as effective, I think, in terms of living within the resources that are available. Every local district is going to have reasons to maintain certain services, but I think there's opportunity in some of these kind of standard services, whether it's payroll, curriculum, to look at service sharing as a way to relieve some of the fiscal pressures. Okay. I, I want to also ask you about charter schools, because you mentioned in your report that charter schools were have been less affected by enrollment declines as traditional school districts. And I wonder if you have any insight on, on why that might be the case. I mean, we noticed that enrollment in in cyber schools really took off during the pandemic. And maybe that's one of the reasons, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the pandemic obviously caused a number of enrollment shifts, people disenrolling from traditional public school districts, and in some cases, traditional chartered districts towards more virtual options. Those may have been prompted by concerns over health, exposure to the virus, could have exposure, but also learning mechanisms, students that would do better uh, in a virtual environment. And we did see a run up in the enrollment there. It seems to have leveled off in terms of the growth there. Charter sector has seen, I would say, marginal growth during this period of declining enrollments. It hasn't grown in any way similar to what it it was doing when we first started the charter school experiment in Michigan. So I think the, the number of providers is more or less kind of plateaued here in Michigan. And as I mentioned, the K-12 enrollment pie is shrinking. So the competitive effects are still very much there. I I think that's what I have to say on that. (laughs) I'm also wondering, so if you look at the COVID relief money runs out or districts have to have spent the money by September, although that could be, that deadline could be extended, but that's the deadline right now. 
the Detroit district was one of the first that really experienced this sort of fiscal cliff because they had dedicated so much of their money to facilities. Their response to it was essentially to cut through, to make cuts instead of, I don't think that there was ever a conversation about closing schools. I'm just wondering, are there alternatives? Are there other things that districts can do to address these enrollment losses? Can they cut their way out of it? Or is that just kind of a Band-Aid solution? It's a tough balance for sure. The money will dry out and there will be this cliff managing through declining enrollment. And and the interesting thing I think we should point out is when districts lose students, they don't lose them all in a single grade and a single building. They're spread across 12 grades and multiple buildings. So the eliminating a third grade class is not really a solution in the immediate term. So they have to think strategically long-term and and what do the grade configurations look like, not next year, but five, 10 years out and think about how they're going to program not just the people working in the buildings, but the number of buildings that are open. Yes, Detroit got out in front of this, I think, and said, we're going to staff up with these COVID dollars. And then as the dollars run out, we're going to have to pull back and reprioritize. If these were programs that students and families desired and needed, we'll keep those going. But that means that something else is going to have to give in the budget. And we've we've seen that in a number of districts, Detroit included. Yeah. What else do you want people to know about this, about the potential for school closures? Yeah. As I mentioned early on, I think these are some of the hardest decisions that local decision makers have to face. And getting out and delaying those decisions and talking about it doesn't make it go away. It perhaps makes it more of a challenge. So getting out in front of this is important. I don't know that any local school district is going to be able to change the demographics of the state. And so bringing in the community to make them aware of these longer term trends, both in terms of declining enrollment, but also the financial realities of the federal relief dollars, as well as the state dollars that are coming in is important. So all voices are heard when these tough decisions are brought to the the school board level for decisions. So you talked about how Detroit got out in front of this, but we haven't talked about Flint. And they've been having some really tough discussions about right-sizing their school district. And it seems like they're also trying to get out ahead of this, knowing that this money is running out soon. Is that something that you would think you'd be seeing more of in Michigan? Because we really are only seeing this in maybe a few school districts right now. I think to some degree, the federal dollars have given decision makers an opportunity to put these tougher decisions on the back burner and haven't brought them to the fore. But as we get closer and closer to this expiration deadline. They're revealing the reality of it, I should say. Schools are going to be sitting down here and drafting their budgets for the 24-25 school year in the next month or so, early drafts of that. And these declining enrollment, loss of federal funds need to be front and center for more school districts in the state, especially in terms of bringing in other voices to the decision-making process in schools. 
What if the feds do provide an extension for spending that money? Will that just give decision makers a reason to even further delay having these conversations? Well, when I looked, it looks like most districts are on their path to spending these dollars by the expiration date. And as we know, schools largely employ people and pay for people. And whether or not it's September 30th of this year, December 31st of this year, or March of next year, the end of the money is the end of the money. There's no signs that this Congress or the current administration is going to be able to backfill the the loss of these resources. So extending the deadline really only delays the inevitable, in in our opinion. And then again, just pointing out the fact that we have this long-term declining enrollment trend, which because of the federal money kind of was put on the back burner over the, you know, the last couple of budgets that the school districts have worked up. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds like a good place for us to wrap up. I, I really thank you for, again, raising this as an issue. It, this is so critical in Michigan. And I know we're going to be doing a lot of reporting on this and probably reaching out to you for your thoughts on how school districts are addressing these issues. So thank you. Thank you so much for the conversation. I'm Lori Higgins, Bureau Chief at Chalkbeat Detroit, and I've been chatting with Craig Thiel, Senior Analyst with, with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, online at crcmich.org and on Twitter at CRCMICH. This is Facts Matter, a podcast presentation of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Thank you for tuning in. The Citizens Research Council of Michigan has been providing lawmakers, academics, and the media, and all Michiganders, really, with factual, unbiased, independent information on significant issues concerning state and local government, organization, and finance for 107 years. Our research is available to you. Go online at crcmich.org and on Twitter at crcmich. Download our research, check out our numerous blogs and listen to our podcasts. And while you're there, please consider supporting our research with a donation. We rely on charitable donations for our work. This has been a Facts Matter podcast, a presentation of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan.